You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Genesis chapter 48, verses 1 and 2, How to Die Well. First, a time reference. Sometime later, Joseph was told, Your father is ill. So this is at the end of Jacob's or Israel's life. He spent his final 17 years in Egypt with Joseph. He arrived when he was 130 years old, so he is in his last year of life at the age of 147. Joseph is informed that his father is ill. That he only gets ill at this age is amazing in itself, speaking as a person who has dealt with chronic illness since the age of 49. But Jacob knew the end was approaching soon, so he wanted to set his affairs in order and impart his famous last words from his deathbed. Of all the events in Jacob's life, fathering his twelve sons, his dream of the latter, his wrestling with God, his dealings with Laban and Esau, the thing he's remembered for was the faith he showed when he died. Hebrews 11.21 says, By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Joseph arrives along with his sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. These boys are now in their mid-twenties, so they are grown men. When Jacob hears they have arrived, he rallies his strength and sits up on the bed. Verses 3 and 4, Covenant Blessings Remembered Compared to his rather pessimistic testimony before Pharaoh, where he described his life as short and evil, now as he reaches the end of his life, he sees things differently. And it's beautiful to hear an old saint testify to the faithfulness of God. He doesn't boast about his faith or any accomplishments, but only God's goodness. He tells Joseph about one of the times when God appeared to him in Bethel and confirmed the three elements of the covenant, blessing, many descendants, and the land. God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me and said to me, I am going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples, and I will give you this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. At this point, um, God is still known only by the names God, Lord, or God Almighty. His covenant name, Yahweh, spelled Y-H-W-H, is not revealed until the time of Moses. So this incident, when God reconfirmed the covenant and Jacob's name changed to Israel, occurred after he and Esau were reconciled and after the Dinah incident, but before the death of Rachel. Verses 5 and 6, Joseph's sons adopted into the family of Israel. Jacob recognizes the hardship Joseph has experienced, and so he offers to adopt his two sons, born to him in Egypt, into his family in place of Joseph. They would receive his inheritance in the land, on equal footing with his other sons. He mentions the first two, Reuben and Simeon. He says Joseph can keep any other sons as his own, but these two will inherit territory in the land of Canaan with their uncles. Joseph does not have any other sons. And this means instead of one territory named for Joseph, there will be two areas given to Ephraim and Manasseh. And because we know that later on the tribe of Levi will receive an inheritance within the other tribes, and since Joseph is replaced by his sons, there will still be twelve tribes that divide up the land. For Joseph's descendants had become two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. The Levites received no share of the land, but only towns to live in, 
with pasture lands for their flocks and herds. That's in Joshua 14.4. But Israel doesn't know this. It was done in faith. He wasn't aware that they would be known as the twelve tribes of Israel. So what this must have meant to Joseph to see his father's acceptance of his sons into the family in this way, we can only imagine. It didn't matter if they followed Joseph in his fame in Egypt, but that they'd be part of the family of faith. Verse 7, Death of Rachel Remembered Jacob's mind is still sharp at the age of 147. He reminds Joseph of the death of his mother Rachel, which Joseph would remember as he was about 13 at the time. She died in childbirth after delivering Benjamin. They had left Laban's home in Paddan Aram and had lived in Shechem until his son's response to the rape of their sister led to the move from there to Hebron by way of Bethel. Rachel was buried where she died, just out of Bethlehem. Um, verses 8 through 11, Israel identifies the boys. In the rest of the chapter, uh, Jacob is called Israel. So that business concluded, Israel looks over at the people that came with Joseph and asks who they are. Joseph answers, they are the sons God has given me here. God was always overruling all events of Joseph's life in his mind. Jacob would have seen them previously, but because he had failing eyesight like his father did, and because he remembered how he tricked his own father, he asked Joseph to bring them closer so he could bless them at the same time. He kissed and embraced them. Then he said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again, and now God has allowed me to see your children too. So it was a blessing to receive his son back from the dead, but to live long enough to see his grandsons become men was even better. He acknowledges that they are a gift of God, and Joseph admitted his sons were given to him by God. And Jacob has lived long enough to see them. It's a true double blessing for both men. Verses 12 to 14, getting into position. Joseph approaches his father and places Ephraim near Israel's left hand and Manasseh near his right hand, and they kneel close to him. But then he does something unexpected. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger. And crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. He was not confused, nor showing favoritism but he did this knowingly. God had somehow revealed this to him. Verses 15 through 16, the blessing. This was the content of the blessing. May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and may they increase greatly on the earth. He ties in the blessing to his ancestors. He now recognizes that God has guided him like a shepherd all his life, although he may not have recognized it at various times. And he sees God as the angel who delivered him from all harm. And this is probably a reference to the time he wrestled with a man. He knew God protected him supernaturally from Laban when he was warned not to try to stop him from leaving, and he was terrified to see Esau again, but the reunion was amicable and joyous. God provided for him as he had asked. He wants them to be a part of the family of Israel, and it's the first mention of God as a deliverer or redeemer. The phrase, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, would become a common expression to describe the God of Israel. 
and he also wanted them to increase greatly. Verses 17 through 20, the protest. Joseph didn't interrupt during the blessing, but he saw what his father was doing when he crossed his hands and gave the greater blessing to the younger son. It was not expected, and it displeased him, so he reached out to correct his father and put his hands in the right place. He even said, No, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head, thinking his father was either confused or affected by his cataracts. But Jacob refused to change. I wonder how much of a tug of war there was between them. He said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people, and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a group of nations. So this sounds similar to the words of consolation to Abraham about Ishmael. And this would be prophetic as eventually the tribe of Ephraim would become synonymous with the ten northern tribes. But the judge, deliverer, um, Gideon, would come from the tribe of Manasseh, so they would be influential too. He made it even clearer by saying, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Then the writer, Moses, commentary. So he put Ephraim as ahead of Manasseh. So God could have had Ephraim born before Manasseh, and this wouldn't have been an issue. But as he had done many other times already, he chooses an unlikely son over another. Abel over Cain, Shem over Japheth and Ham, Isaac over Ishmael, Jacob over Esau, Judah over Benjamin. So why not Ephraim over Manasseh? God doesn't bestow gifts equally, but sometimes elevates an unlikely person over others to show us that it's because of grace, not works. Jacob and Judah are both examples of this. So verses 21 and 22, an extra gift. Israel has faith that even though he wouldn't see it again, God would be faithful to his word and bring his descendants back to Canaan. I am about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. Then he shows his favoritism by gifting Joseph's sons with another portion of land that he says he obtained by conquest from the Amorites. There is no record elsewhere of the actual event, but this is the location of Jacob's well, where Jesus will meet with the Samaritan woman. Scarlet threads. So what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ or application to the gospel do we find in this chapter? Jacob gave a good testimony at the end of his life. Jesus gave a good testimony at the end of his life before Pilate. Ja Jacob acknowledged God had shepherded him his whole life. Like David after him, and all believers, we can say that God is our shepherd, who leads us through the valley of the shadow of death and brings us beside still waters and green pastures. Jesus is the good shepherd because he lays down his life for the sheep. Jacob brings Joseph's sons, outsiders, into the family of faith by adoption. Jesus brings outsiders, Gentiles, into the family of faith by adoption. Jacob spoke by prophecy. Jesus spoke prophetically. Even when dying, Jacob was aware of what he was doing and saying. Even when Jesus was dying on the cross, he was aware of what was happening and what he was saying. Jacob received his son back from the dead and saw his offspring. God the Father received his son back from the dead and saw his spiritual offspring. And we should also desire to see spiritual offspring as a result of evangelism. 
Joseph didn't understand what his father was doing and it troubled him. The disciples didn't understand much of what Jesus did at the time, but only after he was raised from the dead. God promised Joseph through Jacob that Ephraim's descendants would become a group of nations, and this could prefigure the Gentile nations added to become the Israel of God. Jacob dug a well and gave it to Joseph. Jesus, who is greater than Jacob, sat there and offered living water. John 4, 4-6 says, Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. And the irony in that event is that when Jesus talks to her about living water, she asks him, Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? As a matter of fact, he is. You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Genesis chapter 49. May God bless the study of his word.